Thanks for joining us here on The Grand Life. I'm Emily Morgan. So we're going to talk about the gun talk today, but I'm switching things up a little bit. I usually do the Stretch It Takes essay last, but today I wanted you to hear it first, and you'll understand as we get into it. But before that, I want to let you know about a great resource for you this holiday season. Our friend Dee Dee from More Than Grand who's been on the podcast before, has put together a handbook and released a free guide for you filled with great tips, and it includes the perspective of your adult children about how to make the holidays easier for them. It's called A Grandparent's Guide to Happy Holidays, and you don't have to write that down because we will include a link for you in the show notes so you can access it for free. So now let's talk about guns and how we can become a little more flexible about the way we view guns and the people who own them. Join me on the mat as we stretch those relationship muscles with the people we love the most. I was sitting with my two-year-old at a shoe store in downtown Rochester, New York, waiting for the shop attendant to bring us a pair of toddler sneakers for her to try on, when suddenly... A little boy in the seat behind us leaned over and put a gun straight to my daughter's head. I nearly jumped up out of my chair and grabbed her out of hers. At that moment, it didn't matter that it was a toy gun. I reacted instinctively and viscerally, and within a few seconds, I was scolding the boy and lecturing the mother. I shouted at her, He should never do that! I can't believe you allowed him to bring a gun into the store! What were you thinking? I can't say I'm proud of my overreaction, but what I can say is that I will never forget that moment in time. Honestly, guns scare me. My introduction to them was through my grandfather on my mother's side. He loved to hunt, and he wanted to share that love with us by educating us about the dangers of a gun. He took my two sisters and me into the woods to teach us how to shoot. I couldn't have been more than 10 years old when I first felt that kickback of a rifle. It made an impression, not only on my shoulder, but also on my mind. I recognized immediately how powerful a gun can be, and I vowed I'd never want to shoot one or touch one unless I was with Grandpa. Fast forward about 40 years. I was visiting our son at a Colorado resort ranch where he worked. He wanted to show us the rifles and handguns they let their guests use in target shooting. I was nervous as he loaded the guns and then handed them to us to shoot. I was perfectly capable of holding one and shooting, but somehow I still was frightened. I felt like I was holding a hand grenade. I was afraid of myself and the gun and so relieved when our son took the guns back and placed them in a safe cabinet. When our children were little, we didn't buy them guns to play with, but as you all know, many children can make anything into a gun, a toilet paper roll, a branch, and even a wooden spoon. In a 2014 article in the Washington Post, journalist Mark Fisher wrote about the troubled legacy of guns. Fisher mentions that Dr. Benjamin Spock, in his book Baby and Child Care, taught new parents that children outgrow pistol play. He says playing at war is a natural step in a child's development. But by 1968, he updated that advice in the revised edition of the book, saying, 
quote, parents should firmly stop children's war play or any other kind of play that degenerates into deliberate cruelty or meanness, unquote. So what changed between the first printing in 1946 and the one in 1968? Some experts point to the Vietnam War as a catalyst for the negative feelings towards guns. I grew up in that era, and by the time I had children, I wasn't a fan. I didn't want my children playing with guns because I was bothered by the violence associated with it. I understood that guns can be used safely for hunting and as a hobby, but we lived in a neighborhood in Rochester where people got shot, not because someone had been aiming at a squirrel and missed. I was so disturbed by police rushing to our neighborhood that we left. We moved west and ended up in Indiana where our children were still under school age. Guns were, for me, nothing to play with. I didn't want my child to be in a shoe store, pointing one at another child. I knew they were pretending, and I didn't want my children even pretending when it came to guns. Just like I didn't want my children strutting around in a bikini or speedo and pretending to be runway models. In that Washington Post article, Fisher quotes Richard Gottlieb of Global Toy Experts, who says that toy guns will always be around. All kids have basic needs to act out their fears of childhood. For girls, it's sexuality and social interaction. For boys, it's death and dying. These are essential play patterns, he said. So how do I deal with this idea? Here's the stretch. I have grandchildren for whom I have bought Nerf guns shaped like little AK-47 assault rifles. Am I okay with that? I think I have to be. They like to shoot them and they really like to receive them as gifts. As they get a little older, they may play first-person shooter video games. I'm going to assume that they are simply acting out their basic fears, and I'm going to hope that that's all it is. And after they put down their mouse and their analog sticks, they will come to dinner and give me a big hug, one that is real, not pretend, and one that expresses their true, loving selves. So there's the stretch it takes, and I wanted you to hear that first because Mike and I are going to have a conversation now about the gun talk. And welcome, Mike, back Hi, to hon. Grand Life. Hi. Um, all right. I have to tell you, I called a gun store, a local gun store, and I, I wanted to know if they had toy guns for sale. And they did have a couple, and he said they had to special order them. And I said, and he didn't know where I was coming from, and I just said, well, I was just curious because I know now it's, you know, if you go to Toys R Us, it's it's really hard to find a fake gun. I was asking him if he had fake toy guns for children, and he said, I know. Isn't that so sad? What do you think of that? Well, it certainly does represent a, a societal change that's kind of worked its way through certain kinds of decisions that some retailers have made. It's harder to get real guns than it used to be because the largest retailers in the country that used to carry them, like Walmart and Dick's Sporting Goods and some others, they've stopped. Mm-hmm. Plus, there have been some pretty high-profile incidents of people getting injured because a toy gun was thought to have been a real one. Yeah. Yeah. It, it is so interesting to me because toy guns used to, they used to require these little orange things on them to, to make sure that everybody knew they were toy guns. And I'm not sure that that's the case anymore. But whatever the case is, you can't just pick one up for Christmas um, or holiday 
you know, a gift for your grandchild. Provided, it's not that easy. Provided that it kind of sort of looks like a real one. Right. I mean, I you mean you've can, got you a lot get, of Nerf guns. Yeah, fantasy guns, easier right. easier to find. Right. But something that could reasonably be mistaken as a real one. I guess that's what you're talking about here, yeah. right? Yeah. And, and basically, I think it, I just brought that up because I kind of wanted to say, wow, things are changing. Because when we were growing up, I did remember having cap guns, and I do remember the smell of them when you would use the caps sure. in them. It was just, I had cap guns, too. Yeah, I mean, who didn't, right? And, and then, the, the more realistic, the better. Right. Although they'd be downsized for smaller hands. Still, if it looked more like, you know, if it had real chrome as opposed right, to just chrome. something. Right, it was chrome. It wasn't, yeah, they were nice and silver. They weren't, like, black with any kind of orange thing right. on them or anything. Yeah. So, and we played innocently with those but you pointed them at each other, oh, we didn't pointed you? them at each other. There and, you, you know, it's so interesting that I was so horrified that that happened to my daughter. And when it was me as the adult and my daughter being the victim, and victim, I put that in quotation marks, it was a whole different experience. Um, so anyway, I think that's interesting. It kind of segues into talking about a little bit about your childhood, since I talked about mine and the stretch it takes. What was your experience with guns growing up? They were a pretty natural part of the world that I lived in, but they were they were confined to use in hunting. Um, and I was not a hunter. I didn't enjoy hunting. My older brother was. Uh, the story goes, until he shot a rabbit. And then it yucked him out so much that he decided not to do any more hunting. I, no more guns. I didn't even go that far. And so, you know, my poor, my poor dad didn't really have a couple of sons that sort of went along with him uh, with the hunting. But... Because they were a part of his world and the one that he came from as a Tennessee farm boy, there wasn't anything super special about them, yet he was careful. I don't think he was super careful because I knew exactly where the shotguns were and they were in an unlocked coat closet. Mm. I have heard since then that there was a revolver in his nightstand. That you were unaware of? Right. Yeah. He, he never told me. I never went, you know, curiously hunting. Yeah. And so... Um, so you weren't a hunter in any form of the word. I'm afraid that's true. <laughs> because some boys, some girls or boys, would hunt around to see what was in their parents' nightstands. Interesting to me that you didn't do that. So you were one of those kids. Little I, angel boy. <laughs> no, it was it was sort of respect and fear, I think. Yeah. I, yeah. Didn't, I didn't want to mess in his that stuff. That makes sense, knowing your dad. Yeah. Um, so, so there were guns around. And he also uh, went off and, and went on hunting trips, right, to sure. shoot. He'd go what? hunting. He generally uh, was was shotgun hunting for pheasant. That was the thing that he enjoyed doing the most. Mm -hmm. And he usually went out of state to do it. So it was a big deal. Mm -hmm. uh, he went with friends. He took a couple, three shotguns with him. You know, he would certainly buy plenty of uh, shotgun shells before he would go out. I don't remember him rifle shooting, and I don't remember him ever pleasure shooting or target shooting. Mm. It was always in the in the service of hunting. So the question I have is, did you ever have a conversation with him or did he have a conversation with you about the safety of guns or don't ever touch this gun or don't ever... Did you remember anything like that? I don't remember anything like that. That's so interesting to me. You know, this this thing is, is interesting because we've never had a conversation with anyone about guns. I don't think you and I have ever had a conversation with anybody about guns. We never asked our kids' friends' parents, like when our kids would go over to other people's houses, we never... Had We never broached that subject, and we never even asked your dad what, when we would bring our children to the house, and it would, we would never ask him where the guns were or if he had them locked up. And yet I know that our children um, would feel very uncomfortable if they knew somebody had a gun. They would probably 
say something. I've had that conversation with our oldest daughter, I know, and said, would you, what would you say? And she said, if I had any inkling that they had a gun, we would have a conversation about that. So that's interesting. I think it may be a generational change. It may also be a regional thing, because remember, I grew up in Kentucky. My dad grew up in Tennessee. And so I think attitudes about guns, use of guns, familiarity with guns, sort of a level of comfort with guns, I think that may be different. It may be, although I talked to my mom um, about it, and she mentioned that her father, my grandfather, um, talked about that almost daily, about the danger of guns and how they weren't supposed to touch the guns. And and then they also knew how to shoot a gun and they knew all the information about it. So he was one of these people who talked about it all the time and recognized it as a um, something lethal that could hurt them if, if they ever got into it. For all the things that uh, electronic media and social media annoy us rightfully about, the fact that it raised the profile, and I I'm going to make an assumption here. The fact that social media has raised the profile on gun safety and what you just talked about, your grandfather's Mm -hmm. concern that everybody appreciate and respect the danger of guns, Mm -hmm. that's not a bad thing because it has made everybody more mindful of the importance of having the talk. Yeah, and that was what was so intriguing to me about Chandra and a conversation that we had with her and her son because I just think... You know, she kind of brought that to the forefront for us and made us think about the fact that it is a crazy world and there are weird things happening. And you want to make sure that you have that talk and you have that conversation. One of the things I just wanted to mention and talk about, because when we talked to her son, he mentioned that he likes guns He like as a hobbyist, not just as, you know, to use them or anything, but, but that they're interesting to him in terms of the way they're built and the different kinds there are and all that kind of thing. And I would say my grandfather's guns were part of his legacy. So I was talking to a friend of mine, and it was like, well, guns for men were like, for my grandfather, for her grandfather, were like when your grandmother passed on her tea set. You know, that those are the kinds of things that you have, that you remember them by. And I know my grandfather had guns, and my sister has inherited those. And, you know, whether she passes that on or not, I don't know what she's going to do with it. But, you know, those were important parts of his legacy. And so what do you do with that when guns become not just an item to use, but an item to remember some somebody. We have a, a, a friend who's a, a pastor, and he loves his guns, and he puts on Facebook about his hunting experiences and how his father hunted and how he hunts and how he wants his children to hunt. And I think that's so interesting because, again, you're passing down. It's a, it's a legacy bigger than just the gun. Um, so... You know, some of you out there who are listening might understand that because you might have family members who feel that way about it. I was talking to another friend of mine who inherited a gun, and everyone in the family was super uncomfortable about having it in their home. Um, and so they put it under the bed, and they folded it in half. Is that what you say, folded it in you half? You folded it at the breach. Folded it at the breach, and it wasn't loaded, and they had no ammunition for it anywhere close. But it was under the bed, and it was just the most uncomfortable, awkward thing for her until she finally was able to find a cousin who would take it off her hands. How many sleepless nights did that <laughs> result in? You know, it's funny because it's so ironic because for some people, having a gun under the bed would make them sleep better. 
Isn't that a riot? I mean, like that would make them feel protected and good. And then you've got somebody like my friend who said, I just couldn't wait to get it off my hands. I just didn't want it. So she felt uncomfortable. So, you know, we've we've talked about the guns. We've talked about um, Chandra. And I just I have such respect for her for willing being willing to tell the story that she did. And I think if we've learned anything, I've learned to be more mindful of the different ways people view guns and gun ownership. I remember when we had an exchange student here from Germany, and he was from Berlin, and he was shocked how often people used guns in a violent way in the U.S. Do you remember that when he was here? And his, I do. We did have com- conversations about guns while he was here, and I hadn't really thought well, about— Well, you know, the other thing that was going on there was he was, he was here during 9-11— he was, So yes. there was a very public, very uh, almost jingoistic attitude about American freedom and independence. People were ready to, you know, load up. Yes. Yeah, that's true. And so it was interesting because he came from a country where gun ownership, it really was, it seemed like it was just... Very limited. Very limited and also really limited only to police and military. So... That was interesting to me because I hadn't really thought about how other countries handle their guns. I do remember a couple of times when I was traveling in Europe um, before I got married, seeing military people with guns. And it was scary and strange to me, like I'd be walking through an airport. Out or, of place. I, it seemed out of place to me. I mean, we were in the United States. I hadn't seen that. Then 9-11 happened. And all of a sudden I was seeing it and it looked like Europe to me. It looked like a whole different country. I didn't even recognize it. And it seemed like even now, um, the police and the people they're policing have them. So guns seem almost ubiquitous in the United States to me. Does it, does it seem like that to you now? Or is that, is that just my yeah. overreaction? No, I, I don't know the number, but the, the, you know, the number of guns per capita has certainly increased, continues to increase, has done so very much in the 20 years since 9-11. It was happening before 9-11. It's just continued to happen. Yeah. The, the increase in the number of guns available. So, you know, how do you feel about that? We'd love to hear from you here at The Grand Life. Um, you can email me at grandlifeconnection at gmail.com or you can leave a voicemail at 317-572-7876. Now, we know that this is a politically charged topic and we certainly didn't want to stir the pot on this. So think about it in these specific terms. When it comes to your guns and your grandchildren, what is the most effective, the most protective, the most respectful, the most loving thing that you can do to head this off at the pass? That's really what this is about, and we'd love to hear your ideas. Yep. And in the meantime, I'm Emily Morgan. And I'm Mike Morgan. And thanks for joining us in Living the Grand Life. Next time on the Grand Life Podcast. My grandma always had these cookies in the jar that she bought. They're like archway cookies or something that she bought from the grocery store. And I still remember the smell when you crack open the container that she, she had a Tupperware container she kept the cookies in. And that smell, it just, the the whole kitchen smelled like those cookies. So the grandmas are kind of like cookies. Um, Super sweet and calming. That's next time on the Grand Life Podcast.